You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast, a platform that we've created to bring the Nordic community together. My name is Paul Hackett, and I'm your host. Perfect. So welcome to another episode on the Evolution Exchange. Today, we will be discussing developing product people in the games industry, a topic provided by our uh, participant, Lewis Cascante, today. Uh, so once again, we'll do a round of introductions. So as it was your topic, Lewis, do you want to mm-hmm. get off? <clears throat> yeah, happy to start. And um, my name is Luis, Luis Cascante, and I am a franchise director at Stereo Stable. And we make games for girls. And uh, my franchise is all about horses. Uh, we have an MMO. Uh, that is played by uh, many, many, many girls everywhere in the world. And uh, I am currently taking a break. So I'm on a sabbatical, um, taking just a few months off, uh, which is super nice. So I'm probably the most relaxed person in this <laughs> podcast recording. Yes, yeah. but I'm, I'm happy to be yeah, here. <laughs> Brill. Uh, Matthias? Yeah, hi, uh, I'm Matthias Wiedmark. Yeah, I work at the, the Frostbite team, which is the... Uh, EA, or Frostbite is the EA proprietary and game engine. Uh, and our customers are most EA game studios. Uh, but also actually quite interesting players, because many of the features we build an engine team are directly uh, benefiting players. Uh, and I used to work as a director of product operations until recently, and that's why I'm on this podcast. I actually switched over now to program management. So heading up uh, program management, Frostbite. Uh, but I think, yeah, I mean, I haven't forgotten about the product. And actually, I add a new interesting angle to this, I, I think, by straddling the two functions. So, so I, I hope uh, I can still contribute to this podcast today. Congratulations on the promotion. Uh, Anya. Uh, hello, everyone. I am Anya. I am a production director at Paradox uh, Development Studio. I am uh, overseeing uh, strategic and uh, operational aspects of uh, development processes, pipelines, and culture as well. Um, resource management, like planning, risk management, all that fun jazz. Um, I actually have a project management background. I started as a junior project manager um, back then in mobile game development. So I am basically not this person who actually transitioned to product role. I actually started there, uh, but like, but I was uh, working, I've been working uh, in all of my uh, companies alongside with people um, on uh, product uh, positions uh, who have uh, different backgrounds. And um, right now, I'm also paying attention to actually growing professionals. And I think uh, like promoting internally is a very good also retention tool for ambitious people. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion because I think it's going to be super interesting and relevant as well. Cool. Congrats on your promotion as well. Um, so kicking off with you then, uh, Anna. So. Your question was, what tools do you want to use or invest in in order to develop product people? So do you want to give some uh, personal context around why that question is important to you? Uh, 
yeah, sure. Well, actually, my question comes from pretty practical field because, as I said, I'm, I want to pay attention to actually promoting people internally to um, um, product roles as well. I think it's uh, good and healthy. Uh, and but but at the same time, I do realize that um, the problem is we usually underestimate uh, the uh, difficulty of um, actually assigning people with certain role because one thing when the pro like professional is just very brilliant in what they are doing, another thing is to start focusing on slightly different things. And I see here like two aspects like major aspects like the first aspect is like okay so what's going to be like the ramping up plan how it's going to be different or not different at all it's just we need to really really acknowledge that there should be ramping up for this person doesn't matter if it's coming internal or externally um and the second aspect is actually how to maintain this development because i noticed myself that many companies are actually executing on this right right they're promoting people internally but it's very easy to fall into the pattern when your whole leadership and your whole product like like management like positions like on product level they are actually coming from this different background without without proper ramp, ramp up process and knowledge and experience that is actually would be focusing them on the like this business mindset and you know this and a client oriented like mindset what, what have you right uh and how actually to deal with this how to how to make it like like working on both sides right well first like let's say short term and then long term how to not allow that your leadership team overall like directors level product level they are still like keeping up as good professionals in their fields and they learn themselves so for me it's pretty much of a challenge and um I've seen many companies doing different things. Some of them, and this is what I was talking about in the question, right? Some, some of them, they are uh, sending people to courses, allowing them to visit conferences, talking to other professionals in the city to just broaden their horizon. Um, they organize trainings or what have you. Uh, for some companies, it's not that like uh, serious. They just, you know, uh, tend to have like some internal, like again, development tools, like feedback sessions, development dialogues, again, what have you. But again, here it comes the second, like uh, aspect that I was talking about. What if all of the people who are supposed to teach these professionals, they themselves do not have this, you know, uh, like uh, background, yeah, training and uh, in the business or like product field, what what happens in this time and who's to identify this problem, so to say. So this is the yeah the description I think of the of the question. I hope it makes sense, guys. Indeed. So Matthias, Lewis, which one of you wants to go first on this one? I can go. Uh, yeah. uh, so we certainly. <clears throat> I certainly have experience uh, with this problem for, for my for my career. Uh, and as Anya said, uh, this depends on the history of the team, that what, what kind of problem you end up in. Uh, in our team, uh, uh, I would say that most, if almost not all, of the, the people wearing a product hat, they come from an engineering background. Uh, and that that's also, I mean, it's good for understanding some of the engineer customers we have, but the vast majority of our customers are content creators. Uh, so it's also quite limiting. 
and I think the the main risk of just having internal coaching and no kind of external influencer training is uh, actually that we grow large blind spots. So just an example, uh, in the most product management literature, uh, uh, we talk about value risk or some variation thereof. Uh, and uh, in our team, it's taken quite a while before we even establish that language. Uh, start tracking the value risk. Uh, our, our risk management has really been very much about just delivery risk, like staffing gaps or someone gets ill, then that's a risk because the product is maybe delayed. But the value risk is probably much more important to the business. Like, do we know that we're actually solving the right problem and fulfilling a need for the customer with this feature we're building? And if we're unsure about that, that's something that we should like immediately uh, start investigating and doing some discovery. So, so I think uh, training is good to find blind spots. And one thing we've done is we, we had one person that was really interested in this. Uh, so he attended several conferences and picked up a lot of this language. Uh, and we we, we kind of hoping that internal coaching. Now that we had one person <laughs> uh, who had been uh, to some conferences. They could just coach everyone else, and that's the realization as well that it's not that easy. It's not enough to have one person with kind of a view that you want to spread across the team. But you're you kind of if you have an engineer background, you have a mindset that it's hard to budge. So yeah, I think uh, training is probably good for for the majority of the team, actually doesn't help to just train one or two people and then have them coaching everyone else. At least not, it didn't work for us. Yeah. Luis? Uh, yeah, I was, I was sort of like reflecting on what you were saying, Matthias, because <clears throat> I myself, I am that person that reads a lot of books and watches like every conference out there. And then I go there and I'm like, I cannot pretend to be the only person. So like the ability to pull people from from the outside is, is, I think, essential, especially when you are trying to juggle a lot of different things. Um, like, and I don't think it's also very productive to have one person that is fully dedicated at teaching other people. Like I, myself, I don't really want to become a teacher. And I think that the people that want to teach are not usually internal people in the organization. Um, but going back to the question, I think I think both like the the, the tools, uh, the the do we want to learn uh, from like material and conferences and, and books and and different sources, um, or do we want to coach? I think it's both. Uh, and um, one thing that has helped me with this in the past is seeing like looking at this from the point of view of growth of an individual being something that happens on the horizontal and on the vertical, right? So the horizontal is like all the learning that you can actually accumulate from all the different sources and that are more like practical, maybe it's, it's all the books, the conferences, etc. So all of those things you are learning. Um, but your personal growth is coming from putting yourselves in situations where um, you are exposed to a psychological challenge of some sort. So you are like 
I don't know how to do this and I need some adjustment and I actually need to pull from that knowledge that I have accumulated on the horizontal. And then the, the curve is not going to be um, linear. The curve is going to be more like when you jump into a new role um, that hopefully you can relate to something that you have done before, uh, unless you're like thrown into the like depend, which is uh, a bit maybe uh, brutal, depending on the person. Um, but if you can relate to something in the past, let's imagine that it's this like um, this is like going to school. So you are not on the same grade every year. Like you move uh, from year to year, but the the things that you are learning this year um, have sometimes, most of the time, some relation to what you learned last year. So it's like you are actually constantly growing and and it it looks more like an s curve and and the the idea that you jump into a new role you learn the vocabulary that you were talking about matthias is like hey there's a lot to learn and then um during that period maybe i'm not feeling that i'm being super productive but i'm learning something and then i am just getting into the role and then you go into the uh the steep of the curve and then at one point it's, it's just going to be uh, okay i can continue to learn but this role doesn't have any mystery to me anymore and i don't feel challenged so maybe it's time for a, for a new thing and so your career can actually be seen like a succession of these kind of uh curves and i think that has helped me in the past understand where i have people that were very knowledgeable about something but what they needed was that challenge because they were bored <laughs> doing whatever it is that they were doing. Or it was the opposite. I had someone that was very stressful because even though they were in a position that they actually wanted or that we thought as an organization that we wanted them to be in, they lacked the knowledge and they lacked the foundation. So let's just make sure that we can provide that. Um, and then the, the challenge becomes for us as an organization to provide that because um, sometimes internally we cannot um, cover everything, even if we have the knowledge, like we don't, everyone is busy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I actually agree that this is a combination of uh, many tools, like both internal and external, to actually make it happen in the end. Uh, it's good to kind of reflect on like what are the expectations from this particular role in this particular moment and uh, understand well what you can do for this person and what you cannot do and accumulate resources accordingly so to say uh, I actually remember that in one of my companies like speaking about what Matthias was also sharing uh, I, I think we had something maybe similar um, we uh, we had uh, people um, who were tasked to gather some intel, you know, read books, go to conferences, meetups, conferences about some specific topic, like, I don't know, project management, for example. And then they prepared some materials that are not based on their experience, but based on what they actually learned, you know, like some research. And then they were sharing it as a course of lectures, for example, for people who are interested in that. And it was a relatively like easy way to actually spread the knowledge that is not limited to one organization or one team, but at the same time, not, you know, like send the whole team to, I don't know, to, to courses or to, I don't know, uh, to, to, to training, so to say. And it was uh, pretty interesting. But um, all in all, 
yeah, I think that keeping an eye and on some opportunities, let's say, paying attention to some external knowledge would be very, very nice. Um, because it's not about you go or you read and you are able to solve some of your current problems like this. It's more about you're broadening your arsenal of solutions a little bit. And what is also, I think, important for some leadership positions, you also learn how to tell about your project to other people. Sometimes it's a good exercise, you know, it's a good sanity check when you start, you know, um, telling how things are working and what problems do you have. And sometimes when you just, you know, spit it out, it's a bit different than dynamic. It's a bit different how it sounds and it can be also uh, somehow insightful. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think what, what you said there, Anya, about uh, uh, about uh, the, uh, I mean, the purpose of the training, uh, it's not, it shouldn't be seen as here, you're going to go and learn a cookbook way or a new process. It is for inspiration or maybe exactly. talked about finding the, the blind spots. So uh, I've been through some examples where we, sent people to training for a specific process or kind of expecting to to just run with that process afterwards and uh, I mean it doesn't work that way that you, no. you internally deal with your process changes and training might be like required but it's not sufficient uh, for making change so yeah just a, a bit of a warning there yeah it's like, you know, you read all these books, you learn about these mythologies, but like, if you look back on your experience, like actually what was working just according to a certain book or a certain article or what have you, nothing actually. In my personal career, like, like experience, it was always a mixture of something. It was always like mixture of some experiences that I've had before, plus some new solutions, plus, I don't know, some wild ideas of something, but it was never like it was written in all of the books. And every book has, uh, I don't know, some experience, like book about experience of a certain company, they all have some endings, sometimes very happy endings. So they basically, it basically shows that you can reach the goal using totally different like uh, ways, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I find that very funny. <clears throat> One of the books that I always refer to is, oh my God, I can't remember the name, um, but it's, it's a book that explained how they did the, um, how how they implemented the process of designing and implementing the keyboard on the first iPhone, <laughs> and um, and it's a book about agile that doesn't mention the word agile a single time. And, and if you read through it, is um, is just people trying to explain how they were doing things, and it looks sounds so messy, and at the same time it sounds so much real than most of the literature out there. And um, <clears throat> Um, but one of the things that I was um, connecting to you, um, yeah, Anya, was the the having a, like the toolbox, the collecting a lot of different things that you can then put into action um, and combine them. And, and obviously, it's not just using them straight um, as they come uh, out of the pages of some book. Um, but I and I also find I don't know if, you, if this is the same experience for you, but I find that the people that are actually really into product management and product um, are people that are usually hungry for knowledge. Like I, I see that a lot. And I think it's, <clears throat> it's because, um, <clears throat> excuse me, 
I think it's because we are in a place where if we misread a context and we apply the wrong way of doing something, we can mess things up for a lot of people. <laughs> and um, so uh, having that knowledge that there are a lot of things out there that you can actually use and having the ability to read your context, to know what to use or what to try and, 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 and try to understand if, if what you tried actually you know, uh, led to something, or if you have to try something different, then it's, it's, it's much more effective than knowing every single framework uh, out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've all referenced quite the fact, well, the fact that you've all read certain books that have helped you at some degree. So what would be kind of cause, obviously you might not recall all the names off the top of your head now, but if you send me like a few of the titles of those books after this, then I can, when sharing the podcast, I can even potentially put it in the Spotify description for that one. Some of the key titles that you guys have read and enjoyed to uh, to share basically. But uh, we do need to move on to the next question. So if we start with you now, uh, Matthias. So we've got, uh, for tech used in game production, uh, should we look for product people with a technical background or with a user background or maybe an even without game industry background at all? Um, Anya, do you want to kick off on this one? Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, well, actually, this is interesting because we were discussing this dilemma like a couple of weeks ago with uh, my tech team. And um, well, you know, to uh, to cut long story short, uh, we decided that that actually very much dependent on the um, uh, project's current needs and uh, the expectations that we have from a certain position. It was the context of discussing a producer role. Like, do we uh, need to hire somebody with a technical background, or it's not specifically necessary? Um, in his like like looking back to history of uh, paradox we were again encouraging people internally also from uh, technical teams to actually um you know get the assignment in uh, production product roles as well uh, we were seeing it only as a valuable thing to have somebody who can talk the same language with uh, teams and know the gist about what actually it takes to make things uh, but at the same time, right now, when uh, we have a slightly different challenge, which is basically to be, again, more, uh, let's say, focused on uh, deliveries, be more focused on the game and the quality in general, to have this, you know, helicopter view of things, we just realized that we need this more because this is the job. And this is something that we expect people to succeed, like, primarily. Uh, it like this is something that we are looking for if the person of course is brilliant in tech and brilliant in product mindset well you just need to grab this person and never let them go right so <laughs> this is always like it works but usually it's about compromise and you need to be very clear about what job uh, is to be performed and what expectations do you have and what are the goals uh, for this particular professional and usually again it boils down to not necessarily having a technical background uh, maybe it's a good refreshing again like think to um, I mean you can ask yourself why exactly you need for example a technical background for this specific role are you trying to uh, fill in into specific like let's say 
um, tasks that are needed to be done. Maybe somebody else can do this job instead and bring some additional value by that. So in our case, uh, for example, we decided that it's not necessarily needed for us to have a technical, like a person with a, um, very have a technical background because, yeah, I mean, we have a bit different, slightly different goals right now, and we expect this person to be on top of a bit other things. But we definitely don't want to miss out on some technical things as well. So, but but this is kind of sold by different tools. For example, you can say, okay, so I would expect from my leads to be a support here. I would expect them to talk to my product people uh, um, in a way that everybody would understand because like we are working towards the same goal, but we're using a bit different tools like to get to this goal, so to say. So my take on this is of, it's of course dependent on the team, on organization and the particular needs. And it's good for us to like for like for people who are thinking about the future to focus not on the short term solutions, but also on the long term solutions, because obviously. Um, I mean, right now it's like this, but it can be a slightly different in a year or two. And uh, what we're going to do uh, then, right? Uh, and uh, I think um, speaking about, you know, this uh, dilemma about uh, do we need a specific skill set for uh, product people? Like it's only a plus for sure, because of course uh, it's easier to talk to such person like, like I mean, it's easier for team to talk to these people like this. But I see um, uh, myself, you know, uh, there is a there are a couple of examples in my personal experience, like for example, when um, uh, you have producer with a technical background and usually these people, when they're discussing some ideas or some solutions, they are heavily, um, um, relying on the technical background and sometimes they're limiting themselves by that. So for example, they can just, you know, withdraw some solutions just because they immediately realize that this is not possible. People without technical background, as actually me myself, I'm not that much limited. And sometimes, yes, I can propose some really, really like, like, like bad ideas, but at the same time, I'm not that much limited in myself. And I think this is also something that you might expect from leadership that they're coming with this like, okay, so what if we do this? What if we do that? And be focused on solutions rather than on like, you know, um, problems and uh, not being able to solve them because there are some limitations. Um, if the person can be trained in this, I think it's only good. And it's a, and again, since we're discussing the tr like transition to these roles, I think it's a matter of, can we set expectations that will be highlighting the most important parts of the job? And can we actually ramp up this person with any background, technical background, for example, to actually perform these functions and succeed in this role? So can we provide this environment? But I don't see, like, uh, let's say, any problem with if it happens and if person with technical background actually is transitioning to the product, uh, to the like, yeah, product owning owning roles. Sorry, uh, yeah, uh, that's really interesting. Matthias, I did actually skip past you to actually provide some context around your question as well, which is my bad, just threw it straight at you there. So I'm sure she was loving that, but great answer nonetheless. But uh, do you want to just um, give a bit of a context about why you wanted to ask the question as well and maybe loop back on what Anya's responded with already? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, it, it's really, uh, as Anya immediately said, it's like maybe maybe not the whole award, but uh, 
kind of interesting conflict in many many teams. Uh, uh, if we need technical product people, or if there should be more on the user side, maybe, or more on the business side. And uh, uh, I think the if you are too much on the uh, on the technical side, there is a risk that the, your product people will become more like glorified account manager, if you like, uh, and they they kind of run around and gather requirements from stakeholders, and rank them, and maybe more or less hand them over to that team. Uh, but the at least for an internal tech team, I've seen this happening. Uh, but the the product doesn't exist to to fulfill stakeholder requirements. It, it exists to fulfill user needs. So it's uh, I think it's very important to try to move the product managers into the middle of the triangle between the users, uh, the developers, and the business. Even if they maybe it's not possible to find someone that's right in the middle that has equal sized legs in all the camps. Uh, there is harm if, if you go too much in one direction. You can go too much in the user direction too, of course. You, maybe in that case, you, you want to be able to talk with the with dev team properly so they, they can't understand uh, the direction you're trying to give them. Uh, so there's harm in either way. And as Anya said, uh, yeah, I'm thinking that maybe we'll never find a perfect people that's person that's strong in all three areas. So we'll find someone that wants to be a good product manager. We'll just help them with training to kind of, but keeping that picture in the head that they, they need to move towards the middle. So if you're coming from an engineering background, you should probably, I mean, your training should be weighted towards maybe business or user uh, usability or UX or user research or something like that, for example. Yeah, so that was some some of the context of the uh, the question. Lewis? Uh, yeah, I don't know, like not much to add. I think my uh, my obviously my take on this is if you have someone that is a great PM with the domain expertise, then that's your person. <laughs> and uh, but if you don't have that, then I would rather choose actually the great PM um, without the domain expertise over. Uh, poor PM with a great domain expertise. And the reason for that is that I think that, um, depending on the person, of course, but the domain expertise is something that I can see people getting in like maybe six months while becoming a great PM, I think takes years. So um, it's, it's, as Anya was saying, it depends on the needs of the specific uh, product. If um, if if you think you want to develop internal talent and you can afford those two three years to get someone to greatness in in like a product uh, discipline then and and you want to bring people that have the domain expertise then by all means do it if you are a bit on on the fence like what you need is product um, product management and then i will go for someone that doesn't have the domain expertise um i don't know like i've had success moving people uh, or bringing people in an organization that uh, for internal backend development for example uh, someone coming from operations that didn't really have any knowledge about microservices and things like that and picking everything that she needed in order to have conversations with her team and with her stakeholders and with like 
um, users every, everything in, uh, in a very short time. Uh, I have also been able to bring um, people that have no gaming industry experience at all, uh, but were interested in games to develop, for example, new features and, and be uh, actually much better than other people that have like super, like a, a strong dom domain expertise, like they are playing games all the time and they know the industry from inside out. Um, so that actually makes me, it's, it's a reinforcement to this algorithm that I have in my head that I will actually choose someone uh, that has those skills over uh, someone that has the domain expertise. I wonder if I can throw a curveball in this question. Does the same apply when you're dealing, when trying to, because you're, you're talking about finding you know, product people. Does the exact same points apply if you're finding a consultant in comparison to finding a permanent employee? Um, yes, and one of these examples was a consultant. And, and you know, Paul, you have helped me <laughs> from before. And, and, um, and I, I think we bring uh, at the festival. We have been bringing uh, consultants that have very specific skill sets. That is, this is what I actually need in this moment in time. And and you have been able to find those people in other industries, not necessarily the games industry. If we can have someone from games, fantastic. Um, but if not, then I am still willing to try. Yeah. And, and we have some good uh, good examples of situations in which um, it has actually worked. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think Lewis has a very good point there and an interesting kind of new dimension to this problem uh, for this question. Uh, it's, if it's about domain expertise or kind of role expertise, if you like, uh, I, I would very much agree that it's, uh, it is uh, easier to pick up the domain expertise uh, that expertise in, in product management. Uh, and I think an important point there is that, uh, as Lewis said, you need to pick up enough so that you can carry the conversations. Uh, so, so it's also important for other leaders to not expect that the product manager can go into the very nitty gritty details of their product. Uh, if, if that's the expectation, then we probably need someone with domain expertise, maybe even technical background, but uh, then the, the, the expectation is probably too high in that case. Oh, cool. Any final pointers on that one, Anya? Or? Uh, no, actually, yeah, pretty much agree with uh, above that. Uh, yeah, it's very much dependent on expectations. It's uh, I, I have seen those examples when people were transitioning successfully to product roles, even without actually uh, working, like without experience in working game development before, but they just love games and they are eager to learn. And they have, you know, like good foundations for actually learning and the, uh, ramping up to certain positions. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's also the matter of uh, how seriously we are taking this uh, challenge of actually, again, like ramping up these people actually and giving them right uh, environment to grow. Uh, it's nothing is impossible, I think. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So we can move on to Lewis's question then. So what are the capabilities that you would like to see developed the most in product or production people to boost success in your organization? Lewis, do you want to provide some context there? 
yes. <clears throat> well, I think the question is um, hopefully easy to understand. The, um, uh, the answer can be a bit tricky because uh, when I was thinking about hmm, what would I answer to this, I was thinking maybe I can bring a <clears throat> laundry list of everything that I ever wanted. <clears throat> and then that's, um, but at the end it's not, it's not that. So, um, so I think I am most interested to know uh, what are the things that you, you guys think can actually have an impact, like a real impact, rather than I'm learning this tool today and maybe three years from now this tool is completely obsolete? As, as, um, so what are, those, what are those things that you believe are going to make a difference um, for, for the success of the organization and the products and, and, and delivering value to the users? So, um, Anya, want to take this one first? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Well, yeah, it's. Uh, I agree. It's a tricky one. You know, like you indeed want to like come up with a huge list of everything that you would like to have, uh, and it's a good, you know, uh, perspective to think about what actually is making the biggest difference. So, yeah, it's a good one. Well, when I'm looking for um, uh, for product people, uh, mostly for producers. I'm paying attention to um, to the team focus and game focus. So, I mean, you know, putting tasks in Jira correctly and holding perfect meetings and documentation is one thing, but working with leads and all this bunch of stakeholders to with with, with different opinions all the time, uh, or maybe not all the time, but uh, frequently. But still to make sure and be able to make sure that the game is actually good um, and people are happy and they're motivated. This is a bit different thing. This, is, of course, comes to, OK, uh, what role you are, I don't know, um, uh, searching for. Uh, maybe I wouldn't expect uh, this elaborate things from a no project coordinator or project managers at this point, but I would definitely pay attention on the views like even now because I think this is important and this is also like giving me uh, some um, some signs about um, uh, uh, you know development of a particular person. But if I would be to um, let's say you know like choose something I would say the most important or above the most uh, among the most important I would say very good skill at least again for production people from my point of view is to know your limits um, I mean you're not personally your limits but rather the projects and maybe organization limits and operate and start and, and learn how to operate fluently knowing them actually because the ultimate, I would say, cornerstone or task um, of product people is to actually constantly check the value against resources that they're available to you and make right decisions based on that. Um, what will bring the most value? Like even this question, right? What will bring the, 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 the biggest value under this constraints that we're having right now? And I think this comes with this knowledge of the limitations and like, you know, how to actually introduce them and how to talk about them and how to be this person that is putting your foot sometimes on something um, and uh, is able to explain people so that they are happy or not happy, but at least we're having conversation here, right? This is what uh, uh, we're here for. Uh, so yeah, I would say this is something that I would be looking for um, 
uh, among premier things. But of course, there's a huge list of everything. So it's like, you know, we can, we can go through, <laughs> through it, but it's like, yeah, if I would be picking one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just uh, take over and pick my top one. Uh, I think it's important first to, we talk about development capabilities and product people to, to boost the success. We should define the success. And I, I think we already, agree that success here is uh, about delivering as much value uh, or benefit to to the users as possible that's kind of the, the the raw definition in my head at least of maybe oversimplified but that, that's product management role so if that is success then i think uh, one of the most important uh, skill sets uh, or capabilities for a product person is to to understand risks that are in the way of uh, delivering that success and delivering the value uh, and uh, i've read uh, quite a few things by martin kagan i don't know if you're familiar with him it's kind of pretty well known uh, and he he often speaks about the, the four big product risks so uh, i think that's somewhere that i would ask all the pro product managers to start i'll actually give them here <laughs> in case someone that's listening haven't heard about them. I mean, the, the first one is the value risk. Uh, are we sure that we're solving the right need for the customer? Uh, then we have the usability risk. Uh, do we know that the customer or the user can actually realize the solution? Can they use it to get to the value? Uh, there's the feasibility risk, which is the more traditional risk of uh, do, we, do we have confidence that we can actually, with the team we have and the skill sets, uh, deliver? Uh, the solution and, and deliver the uh, yeah and then the, the viability risk as well maybe we know how to deliver a lot of value to customer but it's not really aligned with business strategy we're kind of splintering the company if we go for this opportunity so that's something to consider as well uh, and i think uh, <clears throat> if that is uh, the capability uh, there's a bunch of hands-on concrete skills uh, required that can be driven from that uh, uh, i think yeah i mean to begin with the, the product management job is to a large extent uh, gut feel it can't be replaced by an algorithm or a monkey or or whatever but that doesn't mean that there is no craftsmanship coming with the job it's actually a lot of craftsmanship that you can learn uh, so for example uh, if we talk about value risk you need to be able to measure value so you should probably have some skills with building dashboards, maybe Power BI, for example. We're using that a lot. It's quite useful. Uh, but there are many, many <clears throat> solutions there, of course. Uh, and for the usability risk, uh, product manager should know some of the UX uh, skill set uh, or the experience design skill set. Like you should know a bit about user testing, user validation. You should be able to throw together maybe a survey. Uh, and know what you use researchers. Uh, and for the feasibility risk, <clears throat> you're not a planner or a product manager, uh, say, as uh, so a product manager, but you should still understand that language. You should understand, I mean, agile planning and probably workflow planning, because I see that happening all, all the time. 
in games, uh, especially if you're a central tech and your games are going through a gated development cycle, which uh, we're doing largely in, at the EA. Uh, but I understand dependencies uh, and also risk management, uh, of course. So you you know, like you need to understand how risk is managed in your organization so that you can raise risks. If you see a value risk, like who do you to talk with? How, how do you ensure that it's owned uh, and maybe mitigated? Uh, so yeah, so I mean, it's lot, lots of skills, but it's all towards the very short list of four uh, for the uh, product risks, uh, yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, I love that. <clears throat> the, I think it connects very well with one of the things that I have on mine. Um, but I, what I put on, I think on the top of my backlog when it comes to development, and it's not just for product people, but it's self-leadership. So, and I think it, it we were actually talking about this before the beginning of the podcast recording. So, um, and it also connects with the knowing your abilities, your limits, sorry, and the limits of what you're doing. Um, but when we talk about self-leadership, um, usually people, um, we talked about this a lot in the table and people come back to me with like, well, this is a very abstract term. And it's like, okay, so this is, for me, is, is the ability for you to develop mechanisms that actually help you to take ownership of situations where your reality doesn't really match the reality that you will actually like. So, so then there is a gap there. And, and then in, in, in that gap is when is, that's where I can see people blaming, I can see people victimizing themselves, I can see people um, uh, pushing harder than they probably need to. Um, instead of being able to uh, face the situation and, and being able to respond to the situation. And so, so I think that that doesn't, is not something that comes in a book, but it's something that you develop over time. And, and I think it's part of the, you probably need a coach for this um, and be in scenarios where um, you can find yourself in these challenges that require small adjustments uh, and it's obviously if you have a huge crisis then maybe a different type of action is required but um, but over time you develop this uh, leadership and I think there are some some aspects in there there are some um, ways to ease into that mindset that we are trying to teach to people and then when it comes to product and and I think this aligns with what Matthias was saying was for me, self-awareness, it's awareness of the situation in which you are, like the context. So if, if I have a um, if I have a game that is starting from scratch, I don't want a producer to organize Jira on day one. I want someone that is able to um, conduct some effective discovery and mitigate those four risks. So, um, and then eventually we will want the other things, but being able to understand where you are and being able to figure out if, if you know how to approach this particular situation or whether you need to ask for help, I think that's, that's for me more valuable than um, tons of different hard skills. Yeah. And then there is like a, a, a lot of things that I would actually like to see, but um, 
that's maybe an entire topic for another conversation. <laughs> no, so um, perfect.